What's up, everybody? It's Chad. I'm back again for episode two of season two. That's almost hard to say. I'm here with my buddy, Will Bat, a really good grower, a really good guy. You know, I've known him for about a year now and um, wanted to bring him on the show. This is actually something we've been trying to work on for a minute. We've, yeah. been, we've been talking about this for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a busy man. You're a busy man. But we yeah. finally found a day to get in here. Yeah, so it's I'm kind of just so to be here with you, brother. Yeah, me too. I'm glad. So, so welcome to the show and everything. Um, before we move on, I want to just uh, give a shout out to the sponsor of the show today, Quality Customs. Uh, they're going to be the sponsor all month. Um, thank you for sponsoring today's episode and all month. Um, quality packaging, they're here for your packaging needs. They're in compliance, great communications, many packaging prices, totally custom and on time. Contact Josh Viegas for business inquiries at, or estimates. Uh, you can also email them at Koala Customs with a K, uh, Customs, uh, 210 at gmail.com. All right, thank you so much. Anyway, we're going to move on and we're going to talk a little about Will Bat, man. So if you don't mind, you know, could you uh, introduce yourself to the audience and everything? Tell a little, you know, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Chad. Um, yeah. So uh, my name is Will Bat. Um, I'm on the Canacribs consulting team um, under the Growers House umbrella. And so what I'm doing out here in New Mexico is um, I'm a horticulture consultant for um, uh, cannabis productions here in the state. Um, also in a few other states throughout the U.S., um, and, uh, you know, really just here to make sure that, you know, clients of ours, people that we're working with are successful, that are doing well. Um, you know, sometimes I get in with people at the early stage of, uh, you know, facilities and blueprints. Um, and we talk about, you know, specking the, the um, right equipment so that they're not purchasing things twice. Um, oftentimes I get into grow facilities where, uh, you know, they've got twice the amount of dehumidifiers or they've purchased the wrong equipment and uh, uh, now can't return it. Um, yeah. so dehus are expensive. If you oh, guys yes. Um, <laughs> a lot of grow equipment is yes, expensive. It a lot is. of people uh, typically get, um, you know, get a little afraid of the price tag once it comes to, uh, you know, building out the facility. But um, of course, you know. Um, great cross, but great reward. Um, 100%. Yeah. And then also just, um, you know, working with them through the grow process of kind of building their SOPs out, um, connecting people with staff. You know, I yeah. work with a lot of different cultivations out here. So always trying to get the right people in the right fits. Um, and uh, also helping people out with a lot of issues. Yeah. Um, you know, as we all know, uh, cultivating cannabis is not an easy game at commercial no. scale. Yeah. Um, there's a multitude of things that can go wrong. Um, so um, it's fun to be the guy that people call when uh, things go wrong. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, it's uh, not my problem when I go to sleep at night. So uh, yeah, but I, I am coming from um, running some big, uh, big production facilities back east. Um, okay. Uh, really cut my teeth in Maine and the decriminalized market out there. Um, started with a few kind of smaller to mid-sized productions and then um, was running a big, um, about 100,000 square foot facility outside of Philadelphia. Um, oh, wow. And so, uh, yeah, that was where, you know, it was the 5 a.m. calls, yeah, um, yeah. you know, white knuckling on the highway to get down to the facility when the HVAC fails. And um, yeah. yeah, don't miss that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to be, um, you know, be the assistant that's working with the cultivators out here to really make sure that people are as successful as they can be. Dope. But, you know, the other big piece is um, if people aren't familiar with Canacribs, um, you know, we're a big um, media channel um, in the cannabis space. Um, and so try to use that platform to really, you know, bolster our partners and bolster the people that we work with, um, you know, do what we can to, to support. But it's, you know, it's fun to wear a lot of different hats in the industry. Yeah, you wear many. Um, yes. <laughs> well, this one today, but yeah. um, yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Could you tell us a little about Canacribs? You know, that's something that I'm sure some of the audience, you know, may or may not know about. I mean, I know the Canacribs. I've met, you know, all of you guys, you know, great dudes. You know, you guys are doing great things, you know, putting people out there and get more grows, the notoriety that they deserve. You know, totally. Especially the amazing totally. grows, putting up amazing product. Yeah, man. It, you know, it's it, it moves in a few different angles. It's um, 
we use the platform, like I said, to um, to really um, you know show off some of our partners and people that you know uh, we we really enjoy that you know are um, you know trendsetters coming up with new um, you know interesting methods of cultivation in the yeah. industry, utilizing new technologies, and sometimes just a business with a really cool story. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a True. lot lot of us out here, and yeah. uh, everybody's got an interesting story to tell. So it's always fun to um, you know give them the platform to uh, really put that message out to the people. Um, yeah, but you know, through Canacribs, um, we also have our um, consulting team. Um, okay. So you know, like I said, you know, we help people design facilities, create business models, um, you know, dial in their cultivation SOPs, and then you know, continue to operate at the highest level possible. Yeah, because um, we work with many different cultivators. Um, yeah. I mean, myself, I think I've been in about eighty, hundred cultivation facilities. Holy wow! Um, so it's you know. You learn a lot from other people's mistakes and the interesting things that uh, other people, you know, um, put together and, uh, you know, new little strategies. Yeah. Um, so. Something you never thought of before. You're like, oh, I never thought of that before. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Can of Cribs is, uh, is really powered by um, Growers House Agricultural Solutions. Okay. Um, where, you know, we, um, you know, we provide equipment, we provide all the build out supplies, all the um, consumables for people to operate. Um, but really try to be a little bit more of like a solutions-based company. And that's yeah. why they have people like myself here, um, cultivators on staff to um, support the people that we work with. Um, yeah. You know, we don't want to just sell you something. We want to make sure that you're successful with it. Yeah, um, 100%. So. You know, because like instead of just here's equipment, go have fun. It's like, yeah. you know, here's equipment. We're going to help you out. You know, make sure you guys are doing it right. And that's great because, you know, New Mexico, we have a lot of potential. You know, There's for, a lot for, of potential. Yeah, yeah, a lot of potential here. A lot of great growers um, they just need a lot of help because, you know, we all started in a closet. You know, yeah. We all started from the black market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a few who didn't. You know, they had a, a couple, you know, bigger ops. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for the most part, we started in the closet. And we have to scale up. And scaling up, that's a whole different ballgame. You <laughs> know, like night and day. You nailed it, man. Yeah, you nailed yeah. it. Growing four plants and growing 4,000 plants is a very, very big difference. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the math is <laughs> Exactly. And we all love to be able to spend that individual time and care and attention on each plant. But, um, you know, once we get to scale, it's, you know, we got to operate like a business, yeah. um, like any other industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, find creative ways to keep our cost of production low. Yeah. Um, and keep the best quality product possible to, um, you know, really, uh, really make gains. 100%. Man. Yeah. And we'll talk more about growing and everything because this episode is actually about growing. I just wanted to talk, you know, about Will Bat and all oh, the cool geez. stuff that you do and everything, <laughs> you know, because you do a lot in the industry, man. You know, like we always cross paths at some point. We're just like, yep. hey, what are you doing? Well, I, feel like, I feel like the thing that like you and I do, Chad, is like we're plugged in with a lot of different people. We're plugged yep. in with a lot of different cultivations, manufacturers, yep. dispensaries. And it's like, you know, a, a thing that I never thought I'd be doing as much as I do is, you know, just connecting partners. Yeah. Um, it's all right. You've got a service. You've got a need. You know, let's put you guys together. Yeah. And, you know, that's been a, a really, really fun piece, especially in New Mexico here, where yeah. it is such a tight knit industry. Yeah. You know, there's not the same sense of competition. Of course, there's always, you know, yeah, yeah. always going to be some competition, but yeah. um, there's a lot more collaboration um, yeah, out here. And so it's, uh, you know, it's really fun to put, um, you know, the right people together to uh, get solutions yeah. across. 100%. So, so which one do you like better? Do you like the growing side? Do you like more of the marketing sales kind of help? I like the growing side. Yeah. yeah. I, I went, I, <laughs> like a true grower. So what is a true grower? I grew up on farms, yeah. man. I went to school for horticulture and botany. Um, yeah. I love plants. Well, um, let's talk more about that. You know, sure. uh, let's talk about your growing experience then. Totally. You know, like, uh, so give us your background on it. You know, where, where did it come from? Ooh, well, um, let's see. It started with, uh, you know, my mother, um, when I was a little kid, um, had us go into this biodynamic farm down the road. Um, and so 
uh, from kind of rooting around in the soil there and, uh, you know, helping, helping the farmers out and always, you know, being interested in, you know, how they're growing this food and how they're growing these products. Um, you know, that's what really kind of drove this passion in me from an early age. Yeah. Um, continue to work on various farms and kind of woof around the world at some various spots and some really, really fun experiences through that. Um, and then, um, you know, of course, uh, what age 13, 14, I think I smoked my first joint and uh, I was love at first joint. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, um, uh, working on, a um, it's like an intentional, a, a nomadic intentional community, agricultural intentional community out in California. And then got poached by the local weed farms to go help them on their productions. Nice. That was, um, you know, that was how I first started um, to, to really love cultivating cannabis. Um, took that back. I was going to college in uh, in Maine at this little liberal arts school, and um, kind of got taken under the wing by the uh, um, the lead botany professor. Um, was doing a lot of work in uh, plant-based soil restoration uh, called oh. phytoremediation. Um, yeah. So creating with, um, coming up with creative strategies to either you know, hold contaminants in place in soil or actually cleanse the soil with um, hyper-accumulating plants that can take up a lot of like heavy metals and uh, various toxins exactly yeah. um, into their biomass. Did a three-year-long project, was working in tandem with the EPA, um, you know, cool. pretty much ended up having all of my work thrown out um, yeah. at the end and, you know, feeling very dejected. And um, <laughs> at the same time, I was kind of running a couple small, uh, small farms for some collectives of caregivers up there at the time. Cool. Um, and I was like, you know what? This is a lot more fun. This is a lot more engaging. Um, I really like these people yeah. um, and uh, really um, kind of ran with that. Um, so I was running, um, you know, a couple small indoor, outdoor, and then to a larger greenhouse production up in Maine. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's addictive, man. Yes. It's, it's hard work. I mean, it you is. know, you're spending six to seven days a week, you know, 10, 12 hour days. I was hammocking in the woods in some of these properties sometimes <laughs> yeah. when work had to get done. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard work, but it's like big rewards. Um, yeah. you know, there's, there's, I think the thing that's so interesting about cannabis in comparison with the growth of so many other horticultural crops is that there's still so much that we're, we're learning. Yeah. You know, true. we have such little actual research around cannabis. Mm -hmm. So, so few peer reviewed papers that yeah. are just starting to come out now, yeah. um, that, you know, it's an open frontier. I mean, we still have so much to discover with this plant and how to properly cultivate it and how to, you know, create exactly what we're looking for um, yeah. within our, our plant and our grow environment. Yeah, because um, we're still stabilizing the genetics, you know, yep. in this plant in, in general. Yeah. And so then I, um, you know, I moved, I'm originally from Philadelphia okay. um, and uh, moved back south to, uh, to follow a lady, um, you know, as it goes. Um, and, uh, she's a good one. She's still with me today. So, oh, cool. There uh, you yeah, go. That, that's out, always a good story to hear. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I started, um, working at, uh, you know, this new startup outside of Philadelphia, um, which grew and grew and grew and we became massive. Um, yep. and it was, you know, going from about, um, 5,000 square feet of canopy to about like 35 K was, um, intense, you yeah. can say. Yeah. Um, and going from that early startup culture of, you know, not getting paid much and working your freaking ass off yeah. um, to, uh, you know, we ended up getting purchased by one of the uh, the big MSOs. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to name any companies or names, but um, I'm not going to lie, man, the, the corporate side of it, um, I, I started to lose my love a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge when, uh, you're dealing with your boss's 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 boss. Um, who doesn't know anything about cannabis. Who doesn't know anything about cannabis yeah. and is somewhere at some vacation house in Aspen. Um, yeah, yeah. Mad just and, because he's looking at numbers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I, I started getting a little frustrated. You know, I loved my team. Um, I loved um, I loved what we were doing, but, um, you know, just the 
that growth was, um, you know, challenging from the corporate standpoint. Um, and um, I started looking for other options, um, you know, got in with the, uh, the can of cribs team. I'd been chatting with Nate for a little bit and yeah. um, man, it was, uh, cool, yeah. we, we really, we, we really took off together. Yeah. Um, it was a really good fit. Um, I've been really happy to be on their team. It's a great, great group of people, um, all very knowledgeable and really fun to work with. So it's reinvigorated me uh, back into the cannabis scene, you could say, but That's it's cool. been, it's been fun to really take, you know, all of the pieces that, um, you know, I've gleaned out there and, um, you know, bring it here to the New Mexico market. Um, mm -hmm. But um, shit, I'll tell you what, man, I've learned a lot from the New Mexico cultivators too. Yeah. Um, we've got everything from the smallest bootstrappiest little, you know, podunk grow to some really sexy facilities out here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also some cultivators that are, you know, coming up with like interesting new strategies and, you know, different ways to grow because mm -hmm. it can be challenging in New Mexico. Yeah. You um, know, we don't, we don't have a lot of humidity at all. No, <laughs> not at all. It's like yeah. 1%. Yes. Yeah, just about, just about. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of, you know, my, uh, uh, Genesis story, I guess you could say. Yeah. Thank um, you for sharing that. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Cause of I mean, the, I've, I've actually myself has been kind of curious. I know you gave me a little background, but I never knew from the growing side, like, you know, the timeline and everything. And like, I was like, wait, how did he get here? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question, man. He just sometimes, showed up one day. Hey, I'm Will Beck. Uh, sometimes, I'm like, sometimes I wonder that myself. <laughs> uh, yes. But yeah, no, I, I appreciate, you know, the way that you came into the industry, you know, you're very respectful. You know, there's certain people that come into the industry like, hey, I'm here to this and this. And we're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> there's a lot of egos in cannabis. Yeah. And there's a lot of egos. Um, and, you know, there's no need for that. Um, you know, we all we all have uh, the things that we can bring, the good, the bad. But it's the, like we like we touched on. There's always more to learn. Yeah. And anyone that thinks that they know everything um you know that's when you stop learning um, yeah and that's when you stop improving so yeah when uh, i was in interrogator school uh my instructor shout out to him he uh gave me the best advice i have ever had from anyone oh not anyone but just job wise he mm -hmm. said the day you learn everything about this job is the day you die and you know <laughs> you can apply that to so many other jobs especially cannabis you know because yeah. we ourselves are still learning about the plant exactly so i'm still gonna learn and things that i know now are probably not gonna be the same later on down the road 10 years totally. you know because it used to be about thc 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 and then now it's just like whoa that's a gimmick you, you know, know like it's <laughs> that's a tough one man yeah. because unfortunately the way that there's still i feel like we need a whole kind of consumer re-education i think so that. i agree um, i'm sure you've talked about this quite oh, a few times in the I, podcast the but... horse's ashes oh yes oh yes <laughs> but um you know i think you know any experienced cultivator or any sorry any experienced um consumer will tell you that, you know, sometimes they get the highest off that like 14% strain that's dripping with terps. That, Three percenter. Um, yeah, oh, dude. man. And, and it's like, you Dirty, know, yummy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we're just starting to uncover, you know, the synergistic effects of all of the, the, the hundreds of compounds yes. in this, um, this plant, this medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as we start to learn that, you know, I think we'll start to get a little bit more of that kind of education to the consumer. I think so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause but, um, the consumer, you know, like right now is set. Okay. So the consumer is mixed. You know, you have a lot of the old school people, you know, have the old ways and oh, this yeah. and that. Like I used to smoke the leaves and everything. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my dad. Yeah. Mine too. That's where it came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, you have those consumers and then you have like the newer ones, you have the bougie kids, you know, yeah. the, the high THC kids and oh, everything. Yeah. But yeah. now you have like the smaller group that's kind of figuring it out, you yeah. know, but I think, I think 
as a whole, we do need, you know, consumer education. That's kind of what I try to do here on the podcast, yeah. you know, just make sure everyone's as educated as much as possible for my knowledge, totally. um, you know, to, you know, be the smartest consumer possible, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, the one big piece for the consumers is like, talk to your bun tender. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. what are you smoking on? What do you yeah. like? You know, yeah, what's um, tasting good. Exactly. And it's <laughs> yeah. also like, you know, don't, I, I, we all use the analogy of like, you don't buy wine for the alcohol percentage. Um, you know, it's like, you know, what is the experience that you're looking for? What are yeah. the effects that you're looking for? Cause yeah. you know, for me, it's like smokability flavor, of course, are, you know, probably top of, um, you know, top of my cr criteria, but it's like effects. For yeah. Me. You know, yeah. I love to like find the perfect daytime weed and the perfect nighttime weed. Yeah. Man. I got those two, you know, those two categories and like, I'm a, I'm a happy man. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that you didn't use the, the terminology, the, I guess, old terminology now, Indica Sativa, because now it's so hybridized that it's really hard to pinpoint what is an Indica and what is a Sativa now. Yeah. We have to really go off of the effects, Yeah. you know, and to be honest, most of the time it's just a dude smoking it like, oh yeah, I feel like a uppity effect. Okay, Sativa. Dude, that's and that's where it's like, um, you know, we'll pull out, uh, this is my hoagie breath. This Ooh, is probably go. one of the heaviest like indica effects yeah. um, of any of the strains that, uh, that I'm growing right now. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, oh yeah. Oh, let me get that. Um, oh, oh that's funky. Show it to the camera here. <laughs> there we go. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like one of the tallest, stretchiest strains that I've got, but it's the heaviest, most like what you would consider indica effects. Yeah. And like you, like you, you nailed it, man. It's like we're so many of the cultivars that we're growing are so heavily hybridized at this point that like you might have, you know, one indica characteristic, but one completely sativa characteristic yeah. in the same strain. Yeah. Um, so like we can use them as buckets to kind of like, you know, in um, kind of point you more in the direction of what to expect. But, yeah. Um, it's we're, we're we're all smoking hybrids these days unless yeah. you got some funky old hindu land race which i did just pop some hindu kush back cross seeds Ooh, okay i can't wait nice. to see that yeah, yeah. yeah i'll bring i'll bring you some cuts heck yeah and we'll yeah. talk more about the growing stuff here in a yeah. few minutes but i want to ask you just a couple more questions because yeah, you know sure. we keep going back to growing and i'm like damn it i want to we're gonna to we're gonna take 25 tangents on yeah oh yeah you and gonna I, go we got like, problems we yeah, got yeah, problems. yeah we got some growing problems yeah, you know yeah. i got i got some uh female plant problems so um what do you feel, you know, that you like from New Mexico's market come from another market or actually a couple other markets? You know, oh, like what, what are some things that you notice is different that we do? You know, I touched on it earlier, man, but it's like there is a sense of camaraderie in New Mexico. Um, True. You know, it's a, it's a smaller state and, um, you know, one person can connect you to 25 people. Yeah. Um, you know, it is, is a lot more, there's a lot more friendships out here and there's a lot more organizations that are bringing cultivators together. True. Um, you know, shout out to the Southwest Cannabis Trade Association, shout out to the New Mexico Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. Um, you know, the work that they are doing is creating a platform for cultivators to come together, talk, collaborate. And also push, you know, a collective voice to legislators, you know, which is also a big thing that, that you are spearheading. Um, yeah. So, you know, to have that kind of, um, you know, grassroots group movement um, is is relatively rare from a lot of other industries. I mean, especially, man, like coming from the East Coast, you know, main decriminalized market, it was very similar. It yeah. was very much like, you know, lots of small cultivators all kind of supporting each other, getting together at these harvest fests where everybody would... You know, which we got out here too. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, they're all, yeah, yeah, they get a little crazy. <laughs> but, um, uh, but man, it's like you know, once you get down to you know Philly, New York, New Jersey, 
Maryland, it's, you know, you've got high populations and you've got high interest for um, larger players to invest. Okay. And so, you know, like PA, for instance, um, you know, I, I believe it was about a quarter million dollars to enter a lottery to get your license. Um, it was a pay to play scenario. Yeah. The only people that were getting licenses were millionaires yeah. um, because they had that capital to put up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it bred a much more competitive corporate environment. Um, and it was quite stale. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there weren't organizations and there weren't events to bring cultivators together. Um, yeah. And it was instead of that, it was, you know, one company calling the, um, this, the um, CCD on the other company down the road. Um, and that kind of bullshit, yeah, which yeah. that happens everywhere. It There's does, always yeah. going to be, you know, sour, sour players. But um, no, it was, um, it was definitely not, um, you know, there was not the love that I see out here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the thing that I love in New Mexico is it's, you know, it goes both ways of having it be such an open market, um, yeah. but anyone can enter. Yeah. Um, anyone. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very low cost of entry for individuals to get a license and to, to try to make their dream become a reality. Now, the unfortunate part of that is some people will fail. Yeah. Um, That's and, the reality. Yeah. And yeah. especially as we're starting to see, and I think we're going to see a lot more of it in 2024, is mm -hmm. there is going to be some overproduction issues. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of cultivations that are coming online. I see a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these massive outdoor farms that are flooding the market with very cheap products. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's, it's the balance. Yeah. Um, but I would still say, you know, if it's up to me, like, Having the open market where, you know, anyone can enter. If you have a good business idea and a good way to push it and the right people behind you, you know, you can be successful in this industry. I in agree. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a really special thing. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, this plant um, has done so much good, but it's also been so... Um, it's been used to target, um, you know, impoverished communities, communities of color. Yeah. Um, and... Um, you know, I, I feel like it's it's important um, to, you know, really give the people the power back within cannabis. Yeah. And I see that here in New Mexico. Me too. You know, I think we're on a forefront in New Mexico, the way that, and route that we did it. We saw all these other states, the way they did it. It was too restrictive. We saw the issues it caused. It was too expensive. In, even mm -hmm. at the time, our medical cannabis program, it was 80000 to $250,000 just to get your license. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like we had the same issue as New York. You know, yeah. only the rich were able to get into the industry and it was mostly people from out of state. Yeah. So, you know, the, the in state people, you know, just really missed out, you know, due to that. And it's something that we fought for years and we asked them and begged them to change it, you know, but finally I think they saw it and they're like, okay, maybe we'll try a different route. And I'm, I'm really glad we went this route. And like you said, it's unfortunate that some people are going to lose and some people are going to go and leave the industry. However, that's the way the open free market goes, yep. you know, like there's no, you know, you get special treatment just because you decided to do this. It's like, no, you had an opportunity. Yeah. You know, that's a difference. You know, it's yeah. not you're entitled. It's like, you know, you have the opportunity. If you do it right and you have a good product, good customer service, you push it right, you'll do well. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of people doing it well right now. Yeah. And I think everybody's fearing the bottom, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But what it comes down to is what we've seen in every other state where there has been a market crash is that, yes, we will hit that bottom. Mm -hmm. um, the price of product will dip quite low. Yeah. But then it does come back up as yep. um, some of the, you know, some of the companies either scale back their production or as we have some of these, these larger producers start to fail. Yeah. Um, now it's, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of these legacy producers from the medical market, you know, they're 
I and they should be. They're a little scared right now no, because you know some of them have innovated and have found new ways to kind mm -hmm. of rebrand and you know really bring out the best product and um, you know best message to the public. But some are just sitting on their laurels, and they're they're used to being able to sell whatever they want. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of good players out here producing yeah. some really good cannabis now. Yeah. Um, so it's you know everybody always needs to be adapting, always needs to be coming up with creative ways to succeed. Um, so it's and once again, even if your business fails, if your micro license, you know your small business fails, like it's not hard to get back in with a different, you know, rebranded, interesting idea. Yeah. You know, learn from your mistakes um, and find new ways to. Um, uh, to, to push it forward. I agree hundred percent, you know, cause you know, if you don't, you're just going to be stuck and then you're going to be mad at everyone else because you know, Oh, I didn't make it because there's too many people. It's like, no, oh, you just didn't make it because you didn't have either a good product. I mean, I'll, I'll say it for one. I used to have to, I would say have to almost shop at our Greenleaf here in town. Well, mm -hmm. I haven't shot in a very long time. A lot um, of people have yeah. And if you look at the sales, it, it shows, yeah. you know, like, cause yeah, I look at this regularly. And yeah, you know, like all the big guys and MSO ones, or even the you know, call them the dirty thirty, um, they, their sales have plummeted, you know, mm -hmm. significantly. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong; they're still making hundred thousand, you know, maybe two hundred thousand dollars, but it's nothing near to what they were making when we were medical, and even at the beginning of you know adult sales, when yeah. there was very few people, and yeah. you know, the market was you know very cornered by you know freaking slurricane. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah you remember those days oh, yeah i mean yeah. We're, it's the ice cream cake and gelato right now. oh um, yeah yeah you're right yeah. see ice cream cake everywhere i, I mean, can't don't get me wrong i like it that's like <laughs> something different yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got thousands and thousands and thousands of cultivars to choose from 100 yeah. you know and there's so many different you know genetics and stuff we'll actually talk more about that too you know totally. we keep talking um so what do you hope to change for new mexico what would actually improve us and even keep us on the spot light for a little longer because hmm. we know texas you know they have a trigger wall and we'll talk about that later yeah so to keep new mexico in spotlight you know it's going to be really interesting to see what happens from the national level in terms of um descheduling interstate commerce um movement like that but um you know i could definitely see which you know the idea of interstate commerce scares me me too. Um, yeah. It scares me a lot because, um, you know, the only reason that we've seen such uh, quick forward movement in terms of legalization and descheduling is because there's money to be made. Yeah. And money, you know, forces political change. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's 100%. this this world that we live in. Money makes um, around. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I like personally, I would love to see if there was a certain tax or something, you know, so that we still do preserve some of these, um, uh, you know, smaller economies that are popping up in all of these different states with their own cannabis systems. Yeah. But like New Mexico is primed pretty well for um, interstate commerce. Yeah. Um, we've got one of the best resources you can get, the sun. Yeah. Um, and producers that are able to, um, you know, really utilize that um, through like glasshouse production, outdoor production, cheap cost of production, um, you know, we'll definitely stand to um, make some waves if that does happen. But yeah. you know, with the caveat that uh, that's a pretty scary prospect down the line. It is because um, um, last week I actually realized that if we get schedule three and I say if because it's hopeful that we don't get schedule three, we get yeah. on scheduling. Um, but there's a way things are and a way things should be. Um, if Schedule 3 happens, um, I realize that we're going to end up with two different industries. We're going to end up with the 280E industry, and then we'll have the Schedule 3 industry. Mm. Um, even mm. if a state decides to go Schedule 3 only, there's going to be that transitional phase where yes. we have to go from one to the other. So either way, we're going to end up with two, and it's going to be weird for a little bit yeah. um, because that transitional phase. And to be honest, there's going to be certain states that are going to say, well, we don't want to go 
full schedule three, you know, some people can't afford it or, yep. you know, whatever reason, um, we're going to keep two. There's also, you know, very likely if there is going to be interstate commerce, there's going to be much higher restrictions and regulations on, yeah. um, you know, how you operate your facility. Testing. Yeah, testing, cleansing yeah. standards. Oh, God, testing. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, federal testing um, is going to be crazy. <laughs> just, just standardized testing yeah. in a state. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah you're right. right. Yeah, no. you're true. Like, people are using multiple different methods for testing cannabis yeah. and alling it the same. Yeah. Um, Standardization we need in testing, but, 100%. No, but, um, you know, specifically coming back to New Mexico, you know, I feel like, um, and especially what we're seeing down here in, like, Cruces and Sunland Park is, like, having more of these kind of like cannabis destinations. Like, yeah. you know, I, I feel like Sunland Park is on the cusp of something really cool and yeah. really different. Yeah, um, that's why it's called know, Little Dubai. Little Dubai. <laughs> Move over your time to your little Amsterdam. It's um, Little Dubai. But um, no, man, I think that, um, you know, we're going to see more kind of, because um, New Mexico is good at this, of, you know, finding creative ways to attract tourism. Yeah. Um, is having it be a hub where people can go to the cannabis movie theater and people can go through the consumption lounges and go to the cannabis hotel and, um, you know, have it be more of a space that really celebrates cannabis. Um, and, you know, something that I hope to be working with more people like yourself on is having more, hosting more events, I hosting agree. more of these cannabis-friendly events, man. Yeah. We've got a good few of them out here, but I think we can do better. I think we I can think so. I think we can have a lot of fun with it. Um, I think so, so. too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with a couple of law changes, a couple of tweaks, yeah. that's really all it needs. We can have cells there, you yeah. know, eventually. And, you know, I think the, the culture here will show the rest of the nation how to really do it. Man. And that's like, I think that's the culture, you know, yeah. the Mexico culture is what really makes um, the cannabis scene and market here so special. I think um, so. And it's also like, you know, we don't have that many residents, but we still have high sales in cannabis. People yeah. people love their weed in New Mexico. Yeah, they do. We beat um, New York in sales. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> By a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, no, there, there's a lot of uh, money to be made. I mean, within 60 miles of Las Cruces, you know, within a radius, there's 0.3 million people. Yeah. You know, which is more than the state of New Mexico. Yeah. So, you know, you're just settled in a really great place for a few years, at least. You know, once yeah. Texas goes online, things may change. Well, we'll see um, what happens with Texas. Yeah. Yeah. See a, how they who, go about it. Who knows it. where yeah. that goes. That's but, a coin um, flip. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah. But anyway, I, I mean, I really appreciate, you know, the conversation and everything on this because, I mean, I really wanted to have your point of view on it and to have others hear your point of view because you come from a different market. You know, and a lot of people are stuck on this New Mexico market. Oh, we have this issue. We have this. Oh, we're this and this. I'm like, we're actually doing really good, guys, compared to, like, other states. Like, yeah. Denver's oversaturated for whatever reason, probably because they allow local jurisdictions to ban cannabis. You know, um, Oregon's still kind of oversaturated, too. You know, they're still dealing with their issues. You know, and these are states that have been illegal for over a decade. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, us, our little us with, you know, since 2021 – you know, doing as good as we are, I mean, that's that's something something good to just hear and say because, Absolutely, man. you know, we, we, we opened the doors for, you know, really local people who didn't have a lot of funds. Well, the other thing is that we don't have that many, like, massive productions here yeah. in New Mexico. We have a lot of smaller productions. Yes. Um, and, like, you know, we got a lot of microproducers in New Mexico. Yeah. And, like... You know, there are a lot of those microproducers, man. You can you can taste, you can you can feel that love and craft in yes, that product. Exactly. Um, and you know, that's that's the cool thing, and that's where it's like, um, you know, uh, similar to like the craft beer industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, there will always be a place for the small producers in cannabis. Yeah. Um, you know that that small boutique um, product. I agree, because even in Canada is starting to see a, a trend where the big multi yep. hundred thousand yep. foot grows, they're going out of business because yep. they can't make it. You know, they're 
the, well, the consumer base is changing. And here's the thing, man. There's always going to be connoisseurs that are looking for the top tier product. Yeah. And like, you can grow some really good weed at scale, but there's not a whole lot of MSOs that are. Yeah, exactly. Um, not doing it right either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can tell you, man, like, you know, go to a dispensary in Pennsylvania and uh, it's going to be hard to find some really, really great A cannabis. Like you can find yeah. it at a lot of shops out here. Yeah. So even in Washington, sometimes it's a hit or miss. I mean, yeah. I, I'm Fat Panda. I'm sure you know who they are. Yep. One of my favorite um, producers out in Washington. However, I've had some really terrible, terrible, terrible cannabis in Washington as well, too. So, you know what I mean? It goes both ways. It takes a takes everybody right absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so but anyway this has been great but i am ready to move on let's talk about growing so talk yeah, about yeah I, I keep we keep jumping back to it but let's just do it let's just yeah. address the elephant in the room so let's talk growing um so like you said you've been to all kinds of grows all over the state and pretty much all over the nation for the most part you know because mm -hmm. i'm sure they send you other places too right yep yep yeah missouri um mississippi uh some of the newer markets uh, minnesota i'll be doing a good bit of traveling to this year um, but it's also like, I mean, I talk with people in New York, talk with people in Oklahoma. It's, you know, we don't have really set regions. We're just we're trying to be helpful and support people that, um, you know, are reaching out and that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I mean, that, that's good to see in here. Cause you know, like there's a lot of places like, oh yeah, just do this and this, but you guys are like, no, we're going to be down on ground zero. I mean, I see you at events, mm -hmm. you know, with the pop-ups and everything. I try to make it to every event I can. Yeah. yeah. Man, I saw you getting uh, down and I got the, got the recording. Oh yeah. 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 You got so oh, down. Yeah. You fell. Down, <laughs> down to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Got so yeah. down to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I got that video. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was, that was pretty a pretty good, good yeah, one. Yeah. You can run that in the credits, right? No, I, oh, yeah. I should. I'll get to GS to run in the credits. Just like, no. I'll get you the video. <laughs> it's funny. You'll laugh. Um, so what are some trends that you see like growing style here in the state? And actually, as I think about it nationwide, you know, yeah. what are some trends that you're seeing? Trends that I'm seeing. That's interesting, man. So, um, you know, I'm seeing kind of the, um, seeing kind of the divergence of, um, you know, end product yeah. is, um, you know, I would say that there's kind of two camps that cultivations end up kind of pivoting off to is, one is low cost of production. Yeah. Um, you know, how can we grow this plant as inexpensively as possible? Um, you know, we might not still, um, we're definitely still not going to get the same cost per pound. Um, you know, so it might even be sent to extract, but yeah. um, really just going for like, especially here in New Mexico, like there are a lot of um, large outdoor cultivators that are um, going for very simple cultivation methods, um, you know, not always the best product that being said there dude i would knock some i would not knock some of the outdoor product that i am seeing from you know especially like northern new mexico really? um, oh yeah they got good climate for it man there's That's talented true. cultivators up yeah. there but um yeah i mean like you know what's been interesting to see is like taking a little bit more of like a big ag approach to cannabis mm -hmm. um and um you know saying how can i cut my nutrient costs how can i cut my ipm costs yeah I'm going to cut my labor costs um, and um, still have like, you know, a decent enough product to come to market. Yeah. Now the other camp is how am I going to grow the best damn weed that I possibly can? Yeah. Those are the guys that I really like. Yeah, I, love <laughs> I really like working ones, with them. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, man. I work with all different styles of cultivation, but, um, and I got a lot of love for people that are taking the big ag approach for sure. It's very smart. Um, and taking cues from other, you know, more mature industries is always a good way to go about it. True. Um, and of course, we're also still thinking, how can we keep our cost of production low when producing the best cannabis? But it's a very different game when we're talking about controlled environment, indoor production or like yeah. glasshouse production. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so I would say like, you know, 
of course, there's always going to be the people in the middle, but I would say that those are kind of the two avenues that I see a lot of, um, you know, people kind of um, diverting to. Yeah. Um, and it's also like, you know, I love to see when someone has their indoor production and their outdoor production. Um, you know, they can have, you know, more SKUs to be able to uh, to put out to market. Uh, True. And you have flower lasts longer throughout the year. Yeah. You know, you're not like relying on just one shot. Yeah. Or yeah, it's like, know. say you have some really good resilient cultivars that are really good washes. Uh, yes. You know, having like, you know, your cheap door for, for extract mm -hmm. um, and, you know, keeping your top tier flower strains for your indoor, um, you know, makes a lot of sense. Well, it does, you know, so that way you can, you know, just try to capitalize as much as possible, you yeah. know, on the, your return and everything with everything. Yeah, but it's, you know, dude, we've, um, the New Mexico sun is a force. Um, yeah. yeah, that's where it's like, you know, we're in a lot of other states, you know, you're always looking for more light um, when you're trying to use um, the natural sunlight. And um, here in the, the peak of the summer, I mean, you know, you can top upwards of like, you know, 26, 2700 PPFD um, yeah. on your plants. Um, yeah. And so that's where like, you know, even having to use shade cloth to, uh, you know, shade your plants, especially down south here, um, yeah. is, is important. But, um, you know, that sun is a, a hell of a resource. Um, and, like, you know, me personally, I also have a lot of love for, like, glass house and greenhouse production just because you are able to utilize that um, full spectrum sunlight. And then, you know, these days with the, you know, LED technology, you can amend a lot of the light if you're not in the right time of year with the LEDs. Dude, I yeah. mean, like, I yeah, there's um, many, many different styles of LEDs. Um, and for outfitting greenhouses, what's really cool is um, utilizing some of these light sensors that will basically dim your lights to maintain, um, you know, an average light setting that you want over your canopy oh, um, to dope. measure the mixed light between your yeah. LEDs and the sunlight. So even on and a shady day. Oh, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's dope. Yeah. yeah, and so, like, what I would do is, like, I would basically, so say I'm specking out some um, supplemental lighting for a greenhouse, we would um, uh, basically get the, the DLI, the daily light integral of yeah. the region that that greenhouse is set up in, um, and we would look at that in the wintertime, you know, December, January, the darkest time of the month, or darkest time of the year, um, to say, okay, how much light do we need to supplement at the darkest time of the year to be able to hit, you know, about 40 DLI is a really good point for, for flowering. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, how, that's exactly how we're going to spec, you know, um, lighting for a supplementally lit greenhouse. Nice. Um, but you're not even going to run those lights in the summertime. Yeah. Um, if anything, you're running shade cloth up top. Yeah, yeah that's so, true. Yeah. Um, homie out um, Silver City, shout out to, you know, High Lonesome. He does that, you know, totally. he takes his outdoor and he has a hoop house. Oh, yeah, dude, Jeffrey's over. great. I've yeah. checked his Jeff, grow out. It's yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a cool cat. Yeah. I mean, he's growing some good stuff out there, putting some really tasty product out. He is, man. But yeah. once again, it's like Jeffrey's got the love. Yeah, um, yeah. dedication, too. Yeah. I'll be talking to him. Oh, I got to head home, man. You know, I got to go, you know, flip the plants. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yeah, Always. so yeah. shout out to Jeffrey, good guy. Yeah. You know, if you plants, guys get a chance. Plants don't take vacation, dude. No, no, they don't care. Yeah. They don't care what we have going on. Yeah, you know, doesn't matter if you have a birthday or your kids being born. That plant is hungry and it is growing. It does not care oh, yeah. what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you understand all the woes. I've, I've been there, too. Mm -hmm. You know, two times a day, three times a day in there, you know, whatever, in and out. You, you have no life. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You know, it's, Pretty it's, much. Yeah. yeah but <laughs> that is the best weep. <laughs> yeah, but that's also like, um, you know, man, I'm actually glad you, you, you brought that up. But it's like, that's where automation is coming into place. Yeah, that's true. And that's where, like whether you have a state-of-the-art facility or if you have a hoop house yeah. um, it's, or if you just have an outdoor field, yeah. how can we implement as many automations as possible 
so I can have a fucking weekend. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't know if I can create it. Oh, you can cuss on all All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, it's, you know, how can we implement strategies so that, you know, of course, you know, we got Johnny from down the road that's checking in on the plants, you know, when we're taking the wife out, um, you know, a nice Saturday afternoon. But, um, you know, what can we do to, um, you know, have as many facility controls automated so that we can, you know, a lot of these, you got your little app on your phone that you can, you yeah. know, monitor this when you're up in Albuquerque yeah. or, you know, somewhere else. Actually, so my home grow is automated. Oh, um, yeah? Yeah, I have my, so my lights are on on Alexa. There you go. Yeah, I have oh, you got an Alexa? Yeah, I have them on Alexa plug. The lights are on that, so it's precise. Yeah. So both lights are on. Um, and then I have an automatic watering system. I found it on Amazon. Tight. You know, it goes on a phone app. You yeah. know, I can change it, whatever. And, you know, it's watering oh, it right now as we have this. There so, you go. Yeah, you there know. you go. Because I've been trying to kind of do some uh, home grow, like, Crop steering kind of thing at home, okay. you know. Try, okay. try my little hand on it. You know, it's totally. hard at home, you know, because you know you don't have as great of equipment, yeah. you know, as you do in the, the bigger facilities. Yeah. But it's still feasible for the most part. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, and that's. I mean, yeah, I also have like a dude. This, it's the only way. I have four tents at home, and it's yeah. the only way that I can actually manage those when I'm on the road every other week. Is, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of automations. Um, Me so, too. Yeah. I, like uh, with these town halls I've been doing on Fridays, I have to ensure the bucket's full. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Before I leave. And then, yeah. you know, if not, it's, it's fucked. It's know? also calling my girl being like, babe, what the fuck is going on in the garage? <laughs> I'm looking at the numbers. Oh, my yeah, God. Exactly. You told me you wanted it. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I agree. You know, automation is kind of the way that I would say it is the way the industry is going. Yeah. You know, and if you're not thinking about already actively going towards or wanting to do automation, you're kind of behind, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, it doesn't matter if you're the 20,000 grow or 200 plants, you know, like it automation is going to make your life easier. Well, more accurate. I, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, you kind of nailed it there with like, you know, trying to do crop steering at home or something yeah. like that. You know, if you're hand watering, if you're using a pitcher, that's going to be very hard to dial in. Um, and yeah. like, you know, there, there are the cultivators that are, um, you know, hand water or dye. And, you know, I'm not going to knock them, man. Some yeah. of them are growing great weed. Yeah. Um, but it's just like it's a lot more labor that you have to put in. Yeah. But, you know, if you're able to have like, um, you know, a precision um, pressure compensating emitter mm -hmm. um, and a drip system, say I have a half gallon emitter, you know, two emitters in each pot. Um, you know, then I can know exactly how much I'm feeding each plant. Mm -hmm. um, and I can really dial that strategy in per cultivar to really get exactly the irrigation style that I want. Yeah. So not only is it saving you time, but you're able to get to that precise level of control yeah. um, that you just can't quite do as a human. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I noticed there's less runoff. You know, yeah. I have significantly less runoff. When I used to water by hand, you know, there'd be a bunch of runoff in there. You know, it's hard to judge, you know, mm -hmm. like how much to really put in there. Yeah. But with this, I mean, it's, it's to capacity essentially. And then, you know, boop. It's good to go. Nice. And then you know you get the dry back point and all that good stuff. And, sure. You know all that, all that, all that jazz. And you know if you guys, I don't know, should we talk about crop steering a little bit? I mean, you're more keen on it than I. I'll so, give you, I mean, I'll give you my yeah. two cents. Yeah, yeah. Um, so go ahead. All right. So what I typically say um, is, look, crop steering is dialing in the last five to ten percent of your cultivation. But you need to be at ninety to ninety-five percent. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just giving yourself more headaches, and you're giving your you're you're, you're riding the razor edge. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole point of crop steering is um, to basically elicit responses in the plant um, by simulating certain conditions. So, yeah. like the thing that most people will think about is um, uh, you know irrigation strategy around flower and trying to really achieve the proper dryback mm -hmm. to basically simulate drought in that yeah. plant. Can you explain um, dryback really fast for the yeah, sure, know, yeah. sure. So basically it's, 
you know, say I water, let's say simple irrigation strategy, I water, you know, once in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, however much that pot, you know, over the course of that day, that plant's going to continue to transpire. It's going to continue to take up the, the water, the nutrient solution that you have in the pot. Um, and, um, you know, you really want to hit, um, you know, the whole point of crop steering is you hit a certain percentage of dryback. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, to simulate drought conditions so that that plant goes through its stress response, which in this case is, um, bulking larger flowers, potentially larger resin development. Um, and, but it's, it's hard because it's, you know, if you go too far, then that plant might be wilting. Um, yeah. And uh, now you've stressed your plant too far and it's going to, it's, it's not going to be able to bounce back from that as easily. Yeah. Um, so what I would typically say for most cultivations is look, um, if you don't feel like you have your game mastered and um, y- y- there's still things that you're trying to improve, don't even think about the crop steering. It's not going to be that big of a change in your production. Um, you know, focus on the, the, the low hanging fruit, focus on the easy things, focus on dialing in your environmental conditions, get CO2 into your grow, um, check your light levels, um, you know, manage your irrigation strategy well. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, you know, I've, I've seen many tests of cultivators, you know, trying to do these crazy, um, you know, multi-pulse irrigation where they'll feed, you know, 25 shots throughout the day, um, you know, at various stages. I think we've all, a lot of us have probably seen the P1, P2 yeah. charts where you basically are slowly increasing that water, yeah. um, water content within the media, and then you're maintaining, and then you hit that dryback over yeah. the, you know, from that, that final feed event overnight to hit exactly that, um, that dryback that you want. Um, but if we don't have a dialed irrigation system and we don't have proper sensors to measure that moisture content, you know, it's a challenge. It is. It's um, pricey. And it can be. Yeah. yeah. And I would say like, let's focus on other strategies um, and we can get by, you know, you can even, you know, do a little attempt with crop steering with just, you know, one, two, three feet events throughout the day. Um, yeah. You know, do I like the, you know, multi-pulse um, irrigation strategies with, um, you know, a well-draining media? Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, we got other we got bigger fish to fry yeah, um, yeah. you have a lot of more th- smaller things to fix and get better at before you can go to something more advanced exactly that makes exactly sense. yeah it's it's um you know and i i just have seen a good few too many people that um you know have too many issues with it um yeah. you know of trying to 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 get those gains yeah. um yeah because the other thing that we're doing is we're also stacking the the you know, we're talking hydroponics. Let's here, show the plant. You, yeah, he sure. brought a plant for us to show today, actually. So here oh, we right go. This beautiful us. growing. Oh, perfect. In between yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, basically, what um, you know, what you're doing, what we're also doing is we, you know, you, you mentioned runoff. Yeah. Um. So we want to balance our runoff in irrigating, um, so that you know we have enough runoff that once again we're talking hydroponic systems yes, yeah. here. We're talking not salt, like living salt, soil salt or anything like that. Yeah. Um, where we're basically trying to concentrate the salts within the media to just the right point. Um, and so that's where, you know, we do want runoff. Um, yeah. so like, you know, most typically the way that I'll, I'll strategize is, you know, we'd run a, a slightly higher feed. We'd shoot for maybe 10, maybe 15% runoff off of each feed, um, mm-hmm. daily, um, and then allow it to dry back after that runoff stage. That little bit of runoff will, you know, cleanse some of the salts that are built up in the media. But um, we want to, you know, basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to, um, you know, maybe say our source feed is like a 3.0 EC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to build, you know, through those drybacks, you start to concentrate the salts in the media and you can get it upwards of like five, six, seven, 
I've seen some cultivators take it up to 12 EC in the media. Holy crap. Now that's high feeding cultivars um, and that's high light conditions, high CO2. Um, you know, when we're increasing one piece of the puzzle, we got to increase it all. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, you know, if you're trying to push that much nutrition, that plant needs high light conditions to be transpiring fast. It needs high CO2. You know, all the pieces of photosynthesis need to be um, right there. Yeah. Um, and one thing I just remembered, too, is there's certain parts of the state, you know, we have a water issue where you can't do runoffs. Yeah. So some people just literally can't do um, crop steering just for that fact. You know? Well, so what you would do in that instance, if you can't achieve runoff, um, you can still die. You can still steer if you wanted to. But we would go for a slightly lower feed. Instead okay. of that 3.0 EC, maybe we'd be feeding around like a 2.0, okay. uh, maybe even a 1.7. There you go. And so, you know, we are still stacking that media. Um, but, um, you know, we're not, um, we're not stacking as much because we have a slightly lower input feed. Okay. Now, the biggest thing that I'm going to say, Chad, is, um, to cult any cultivator that's trying to dial in their hydroponic irrigation strategy is like, don't ever do this blind. You don't want to just throw the strategy at your plant. You always need to be taking readings. Yeah. Um, and your best bet is doing, um, runoff sampling. Yeah. Um, so like. Get your pot to saturation um, to the point where it's a fully saturated media with your feed. Um, and then um, slowly feed more of your feed um, on top of it um, and gather your leachate, gather your runoff from that plant, which is going to tell you exactly what's going on within your root zone. Um, you know, test the pH, test the EC. Um, the more and more you stack that EC, the lower the pH is going to drop. And we do want to keep that media within a certain range um, nice. so that the plant is still able to feed yeah. and we're not getting salt toxicity because that is an easy thing to do when trying to balance the um, runoff and dryback. Yeah. And, you know, and essentially killing your plant. Yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> Which I, what it leads to. I think, um, let's see, I wonder, I got a little toxicity when I was first. No, she's pretty healthy. All right. Um, I was going to say, um, you know, if you start to notice the little yellowing tips of your leaves, um, oftentimes that's kind of your first um, sense that maybe you're just overfeeding a little bit. Um, when you start to see heavy leaf tip burn, that's when it's, um, and we start to see other lockout issues and it might look like, it might even look like you're not feeding enough just because yeah. that plant has now locked itself out because it is such a high salt content, um, within the media. Um, so locking out happens in most all, all hydroponics when I've seen even soils, regular mm -hmm. soils, I've seen it. What are some tips that you have to help someone battle, you know, locking out, you know, nu nutrient lock essentially? Yeah. Well, like I said, runoff sampling. You, um, you can do it per plant. You can also do it per table. Mm -hmm. You know, just gather your, you know, have what I would do is I would have my staff um, do daily runoff readings on every table. Um, and we had an Excel sheet where we, we tracked all of this. And through that data, we were able to see exactly how each cultivar fed and knew exactly how to um, strategize our irrigation per cultivar. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's going to be your best bet. Um, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, we have, we've all had to flush our plants when, you know, we get a little too salty. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, knowing when to, um, you know, knowing when, when to flush um, yeah. can be very important. Sure. Um, yeah. And flushing essentially means just giving it regular water, no nutrients, anything like that. Just regular RO water, whatever water you use. Um, don't add any nutrients to it. You know, allow it to flush out all of the nutrients that are inside of it. Um, a lot of us know it that way. Back in the day, um, a lot of people would take like a gallon, just pour it in there, put it in their tub. You know, just allow it to flush out that way. Totally. Um, that's an old school way. Um, you can do it a little more subtly too, um, but it's really up to however you feel like doing it. Some people just end up doing it, yep. you know, and just, Yeah, works. and like I know some cultivators that even do like a weekly flush, mm -hmm. which like, you know, I don't hate that. Um, if, we're, if we're stacking our AC properly, it's not a bad call. 
And what I even, um, what I kind of incorporated into um, uh, the larger production that I was, I was working at um, was we would do like a weekly organics drench. Oh, cool. Um, you know, trying to simulate some microbiology mm -hmm. um, within the root zone. That's exactly uh, and what I some, do. some carbon inputs. Yeah. Um, because, um, you know, don't get me wrong, man. There are, I've, I, I've smoked a lot of, you know, just straight salt fed weed. That's quite good. Yeah. Um, quite good. But I think we're always looking for that je ne sais quoi. <laughs> that, uh, that little piece that like you can't quite, you know, you can't quite put a word, a word to it. But yeah. like, you, you know when your weed's got that, that yeah, little that, extra mm, bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, utilizing uh, microbiology can be beneficial in many different ways. Yes. Um, stimulating stress responses um, in uh, protecting the roots from various pathogens. Like I personally like to go for more of an outcompete than kill model. Yeah. Um, and so like, I like having, and you know, believe it or not, a lot of these microbes will still live in high saline environments, yeah. um, you know, within a, um, a salt fed yeah. system. So. And for the new growers out there, you know, can we elaborate a little more on the microbes? I mean, it'd be great for them to hear. Cause I hear a lot of misconceptions on microbials mm -hmm. adding, you know, the teas and really what they do. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, feed it this, but you know, it's more my microbial. <sighs> Chad, we're talking about a whole podcast. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about a book. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just to, I guess a Barney break down um, sure. real quick of like you know the microbes because some people are still confused about what they are and really what they do with them. yeah totally i mean so when we're talking about the microbiology within the soil oof, well there's <laughs> animals within animals yeah within so <laughs> i guess i guess you know when we're talking about in the hydroponic grow um i'm not planning on having a wild diverse you know yeah. beautiful microbiological system where you have fungi and bacteria yeah, yeah. and nematodes and amoebas. And, um, <laughs> you know, what we're talking about is slightly more targeted, um, you know, bacillus strains, trichoderma, um, and uh, mycorrhizal root inoculants. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, a big one that, that a lot of people will understand is um, mycorrhizae, yeah. um, which are fungi that um, basically work symbiotically with plant roots mm -hmm. to effectively extend the root network through yeah. their hyphae through their, their fungal hyphae um, and, um, you know, can help, can help, help plants in the wild, you know, through, you know, drought stress, through being able to access more nutrients. Um, also utilizing like rhizobacteria, um, things like bacillus subtilis, um, amyloliquefaciens. There's a whole host um, yeah. that can be very beneficial um, that, um, you know, will, also kind of grow around the root systems um, can help outcompete other bad pathogens that might be in the root system. There we go. Um, and um, also sometimes just having that microbiology within your media, um, you know, causes the plant. It's like us not being exposed to colds and sicknesses. We don't build our immune system. You yeah, know? Yeah. And so you want that plant to effectively build its own immune system to be yeah. more resilient for, you know, greater pathogens. You know, one um, one specific um, thing that I will say is uh, trichoderma. Um, various trichoderma strains can be incredibly beneficial for fighting off Fusarium and Pythium, hmm. um, which are like um, you know what we know as kind of like certain root rots or stem rots. Like right. if you you know pull a clone that didn't root, and you notice this kind of black inside the stem, um, would very likely be Pythium or Fusarium. Um, and that trichoderma, um, you know, there's different companies with products. I love like um, BioWorks has Root Shield, which is a really, really good one. Yeah. Um, that oftentimes I will put in um, uh, pest management schedules for for individuals just for like, you know, drench your clones once. 
um, maybe once in veg transplant, um, and that will inoculate your root zone um, and just help um, ensure that you don't have um, a lot of those those root zone issues that you can get. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And for to break it down, Barney style, you know, the microbe life really helps sustain the plant's root system. You know, it all works together. You know, it's kind of like a I help you, you help me kind of situation. Symbiosis. Baby. There you go. Symbiosis. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, just yeah, the, for the scientific -y people. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, no, no, please. I, I like having both. I just try to break it down yeah, Barney no, style no, too course, for the yeah course. for the country style. guys like myself. Um, yeah, and if you guys have noticed, if you've grown cannabis before, the little yellow mushroom that pops out sometimes that's actually beneficial. Yeah, right? sulfur yeah. mushrooms. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, typically it just means that you've got um, you've got a relatively healthy media yeah. um, if that mushroom can. Um, yeah. And because the reason why I bring it up, a lot of growers end up with that and then they freak out like, oh, my God. And I try to tell them that like, don't eat yeah. it. But it's actually means you have a you know good little relationship going on in your, your soil. Yep. That mushroom is just a fruiting body. The actual organism is, you know, the hyphae within your media. And it's not going to infect your bud. You're not going to fail for testing. I Don't worry about those little guys. There's plenty <laughs> of other things to worry about. Um, yes. And mold can be a huge issue in cannabis. Yeah. Um, I agree. You know, we... As you said, we have the benefit of it's very dry out here. So there's a lot less mold um, yeah. that you see in New Mexico. However, um, we are high desert um, and cultivators that are growing, especially in greenhouses, where it can be very hard to manage your day to night humidity and temperature swings are very prone to mold. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have to come up with very creative, holistic strategies to be able to the biggest economic um uh, devastators for cannabis cultivators. Yeah. I mean, shit, dude, I lost entire crop on one of the outdoor runs in Maine after like a week and a half of heavy rain, you know, a couple weeks before harvest, yeah. um, it was gone. And sometimes uh, here in New Mexico, you know, we get that late October, September rain that could just devastate a whole dude, crop. What was that know? last, um, that was 2022, um, where it was like a week of rain, like yeah. first week of October yep. that screwed a lot of outdoor cultivators. I remember that um, just people like, Oh my God, my plants. And then, you know, bugs and this and that. Well, yeah. well I guess speaking of, you know, we're on this and then, you know, we'll, 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 we'll wrap it up with the IPM conversation and then we'll go on to our last um, sure. you know, topic. So what do you recommend for IPM, you know, <laughs> for the home guys, you know, for whoever, you know, what's your favorite go-to for IPM? Okay. Well, um, I will first start with saying what I don't like, okay. um, Fair which enough. is when I ask <laughs> cultivation, what do you do for pest management? And they say, oh yeah, we spray this product. Oh, shit. Um, and you know, man, it's like, uh, like so many strategies and so many things, um, but especially integrated pest management, IPM, um, it's taking holistic strategies. It's, you know, using every tool that we can to, for, for one, keep our, you know, keep the grow clean, not have yeah. these, these issues spread. That's our best tool in the toolbox, our cultural controls and our physical controls. Yeah. Um, if we're getting clones in, you know, if we are, um, uh, you know, bringing in new genetics, anything coming into the facility, even just your employees walking into the facility. Um, it's, you know, new genetics get quarantined for several mm -hmm. weeks um, in a tent or a separate environment so that you can inspect, you can see if anything arises, you are testing anything that comes into the facility. Like I often travel with a, um, uh, it's this, it's an amplification device that can test for hoplite and viroid, uh, fusarium, pythium, a oh, lot wow. of major viruses and viroids. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I do often recommend if you, you know, it practice safe sex, yeah. you know, if you don't know where your partner's been, fucking get tested, yeah, um, yeah. like get them tested. Yeah. Um, Same thing with and the plants. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, a lot of people do talk about HLV as plant AIDS and yeah. in a lot of ways it is, man. Yeah. Um, it's spreading like 
wildfire and it's yeah. devastating crops. It is. I've had it um, on a couple plants in the past. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, you know, our, our first, our first step is like quarantine, um, quarantine and test. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there it's, you know, sanitation, clean practices, staff that's coming into the facility, make sure that they have their facility clothes, facility shoes. They're not wearing their shit from their home grow into mm-hmm. the grow. Um, it's having the right barriers in place so that, you know, things are not moving from the outside into the grow rooms or traveling with your cultivators, um, having creative ways to kind of how your staff moves through the grow. Um, you know, when we had, when our company brought in their national cultivars, uh, and we had to put right into production, but I'll tell you what, man, it was a great learning experience. Um, cause getting a facility of that size clean was a hell of a feat. Um, and we had to get very creative. Yeah. And so like what we would do is um, heavy scouting, okay. constantly looking through your, your grow, through mm-hmm. your canopy, um, utilizing a flashlight for your scouts to be able to really see into the canopy, you know, find signs of um, insect frass or like um, insect damage, spots of powdery mildew. Um, and then um, having heat maps within each of the rooms to basically track, um, you know, where things arose, mm-hmm. we were able to come up with predictive models from all of that data that we gathered. Nice. Where we could say, okay, we know that it always gathers along these walls, it always gathers around along the front of the room. So then we could say, you know, all right, scouts, that's where you're going to start scouting. We yeah. know exactly where it's, you know, arisen, you know, nine times out of 10 in these last two grow rooms. Yeah. Um, and then um, from there, it's um, utilizing, you know, a safe, an effective spray program. You know, I'm not going to say that I don't recommend pesticides. Like a lot of the pesticides that we are able to use here in this co are OMRI listed. They're very safe. Mm-hmm. They're bio pesticides. Yeah. Um, and that's where like, I like working with companies like BioWorks or like Marone Bio um, because they have products that are, um, uh, you know, naturally derived like entomopathogenic fungi, yeah. fungi that infect insects and then we'll sporulate on the insects, in fact, other insects. Oh, like, that's, that's great. It. That's it's metal as fuck. I mean, it's like in your grow, it's like craziness is going on. It's, it's great. Like, ah, it's die. great. And like utilizing <laughs> things like that, or like um, another product that's like a, it's um, um, basically a toxin created from these these spent bacteria that is a stomach poison for a lot of feeding insects. And so yeah. applying that to your crop, as the insects feed on the crop, you know they they die um, as they as they eat it. But it's completely safe. Yeah. It's completely safe. Yeah. And a lot of these products are very safe. I'm not recommending anything that we have to worry about around harvest. Like yeah. I really try to shy away from any of those products which aren't even approved in the state. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the state pesticide approval process needs a little work. Um, another, but, another podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. um, but utilizing, you know, safe products. Um, I like tank mixing products that are compatible so that we can have three products with different modes of action all applied in one spray. So maybe you have a suffocant. You have a stomach poison and you have like a molting inhibitor, um, yep. you know, all in one spray so that it's less labor. Um, and, you know, Quicker. we're only having to turn lights off for a certain period of time and yada, yada, yada. Um, but the biggest tool that I would say that a lot of people um, really need to look into and absolutely consult a consultant like myself um, or someone that knows is beneficial insects. Um, Beneficial insects are awesome. Um, They are the hardest workers in the garden. And so like typically, you know, the way that my IPM schedules will go is for one, all of those cultural controls are the first thing we talk about. How we move about the facility, how we bring things into the facility. Um, And then it's, you know, having um, kind of a good safe preventative spray program within vegetative state. 
Um, keeping your mother and clones clean, that is a safe space. People do not work in flower rooms and go back into mothers and clones because that is the beating heart of the facility. Um, and um, really relying heavily on those beneficial insects um, in flower, yep. where we don't want to apply these products in yep. flower. Once again, they're safe, but still, we don't want that on our yep. blood. Yeah, um, I don't want to smoke that. Yeah, and uh, utilizing these these beneficial insects, you know, targeted targeted species of insects for the targeted pests that we know are highly prevalent in our area for preventative programs or using um, you know, them for very specific uses. Like I was on the phone with a cultivator this morning that has an aphid pressure. Um, and so we're talking about a couple specific sprays and veg and then utilizing um, heavy releases of lacewing larvae um, and hotspots. And so that's all going with it. It's scouting. Yeah. Where are yeah. the hotspots? Where can we find them? Releasing these lacewing larvae on the hotspots which are, those things are vicious, man. Yeah. They're like little alligators. With <laughs> Sometimes they just, they, they, just, they just kill the aphids for fun. They don't even <laughs> eat them. Uh, they'll eat some, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's really cool, man. And so, um, you know, relying on the right beneficials for the, the specific problems that you know you could be facing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially the way that you break it down is, you know, organics within the soil as much as you can do, you know, with some, with some spray additives. And then in the flower stage, really rely on nature and yep. you know, other other predators. Yep. Really, essentially. Yep. I mean, that, that's that's a simple way to put it. And it's oh, dude. I mean, going yeah. back to early days on the biodynamic farm, if you want to go into it, like if we're talking like living <laughs> soil cultivations and outside, it's yeah. like utilizing, um, you know, growing marigolds outside your greenhouse, having yeah. banker plants within your grow that plants that you know will attract aphids so yeah. that, you know, that's where you look every morning is your three banker plants. Yeah. Um, and the aphids go, you know, if you have any aphids on those, then you know who you've got them. Yeah, but yeah. Utilizing strategies like that, polycultural planting, where you are inviting other, and once again, we're talking outdoor sustainable. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, where you're inviting, um, you know, other natural predators into the environment, where yeah. you'll get natural lace wings that come in. Um, yeah. And you'll get the pre mantises. Yeah, and... yeah. You know, a big piece, and this is, we're talking big, just ag in general, is the monoculture of crops that um, leaves us susceptible to heavy pest pressures. Because mm. if we have one crop, um, you know, and that is a juicy, delicious treat for an aphid, then those aphids are going to have a heyday. Yeah. Um, and it's also cultivar selection. Yeah. You'll notice sure. that, you know, maybe your berry pink is completely like nothing touches it. They hate it. Mm -hmm. But your gelato, um, you know, your gelato 11 is like, uh, you know, they attract it. They love it. Or yeah, probably yeah. mildew is just like covering it. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, if you have high press pressures, pull those strains out of production. Yeah. Um, you know, at least for now. Yeah. Um, and you know, grow the ones that you know are resilient. But sorry, I could talk on that. No, all day. I will, dude, I I will say, it. I will say, Chad, that you know, I do a lot of different work in terms of um, consulting in the state. But the thing that I probably end up doing the most is integrated pest management because it's something that, um, for one, it's there's not a lot of cannabis specific knowledge on it. Mm -hmm. It comes out of people like myself who have had to do this time after time after time after time and have worked with so many different cultivations to come up with these strategies and find what works. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, we also have a lot of pest pressures in this state. Um, yeah. And, you know, the biggest thing that I would say is like when you're building out a grow, it's like, you know, consider everything that would go wrong first, you know? Yeah, exactly. You got to think about like, you know, all the worst case scenarios and how can I build this to help prevent that from happening in the first place yeah um, redundancy on certain things because you, you know you got it the more you have that the less issues you're going to run into yep three yeah. two or three smaller dehumidifiers instead of one dehumidifier yeah, in the room. yeah. So when that one dehumidifier fails and yeah. you're totally screwed yeah or it's a backup generator for when the power goes out exactly know? like if you're in an area that you know that happens here in cruces that tends to happen quite yep. a bit yep so 
Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much, man. I appreciate the, you know, the, the, the plant talk, you know, and everything. We actually didn't even get to like the no, guide we that we had. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We just I went mean, off the top of the head and it was a great Chad, conversation. I think we got yeah. a season episodes ahead of us, brother. I think <laughs> so. Man. Yeah. We got to, we got to do this again. Cause you yeah. know, we're not even tip of the iceberg right yeah, now. We're still yeah, yeah. barely getting into it with it. And, you know, even I'm learning, you know, a few things myself, you know, from you, you know, very experienced and everything. And, you know, you know what you're talking about. So it, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. So um, we'll have this, plant talk grow again guys you know we do part two we'll do part two we'll do a part two that sounds good we'll have to do it later on this season or something like that yeah we'll do a part two this will be part one we'll continue it on um so but anyway we'll move on to our last um topic of the day then i'll let you guys go because you know we're running over an hour now believe it or not um so i just wanted to update everybody on the legislative stuff that's going on right now as you guys know the legislative um body and everything is in session and it started on Tuesday. Um, at the time of recording, it's Wednesday right now. We released the show on Thursdays now. Um, I just wanted to say before I start, though, I wanted to correct a um, mistake that I made last week. On the NM Legis website, and you have to look out for this still, um, if you type in a keyword and it says the legislative session is 2024, keep an eye out. It's still putting you to the 2023 session, and you have to go up to the top and manually change it to 2024. Usually about halfway through the session, that changes. Um, I don't know why it's like that, but... I mistakenly wasn't paying attention and I was looking at the 2023 bills. So all the bills that I told you last week were actually from last year. So that was my mistake. I'll take that on the nose and drive on with the mission. Um, but we'll the, forgive you, Ted. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Th- thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> there, there's only about six to eight bills right now that have cannabis mentioned. Um, 30 day session. They really don't have much time. So we'll see what happens. I mean, um, pre I mean, filing is until the end of the month. So they still have a, a little bit more time to put more bills in. So I just wanted to make that caveat there. Apologize for my mistake. Um, but you guys shouldn't be um, making that mistake too. Make sure you make sure um, look on the dates that it says 2024, not 2023. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make that um, known. Anyway, so it's a 30-day session. Um, also be cautious where you're getting your legislative information. There's certain meme pages and stuff that are putting all kinds of information out there and some of them don't really have an understanding of the legislative process themselves so they're misleading the public and you know some of them have an agenda too so i think they're doing it on purpose um but just be very careful if they don't if they're not leaving links um or information about the information where they got it from be weary um i try to give you guys links and everything like that um i've also had experience in legislature for 11 years so i'm not just some like meme page um i do make mistakes but at the same time be very careful where the information comes from because you could be walking down the street mad about something that doesn't even work here <laughs> so i'm sure you've seen you know oh, things like yes. that you know oh, all yes. the time yeah, yeah people are like well this and this i'm like that doesn't work here yeah. we don't we don't do that yeah. <laughs> like uh, if a lot of you don't know actually here in new mexico we don't have um ballot initiatives mm-hmm. you know that that's not a thing in new mexico the only time that you have ballot initiatives is when it's a uh, state constitution amendment and then that's a little bit harder to change so we don't do that very often so yeah, here in New Mexico, you have to literally go through the legislature. So y'all hear people, well, I'm not going to vote yes for the marijuanas. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that, but okay. <laughs> so I just want to make you guys clear that, you know, please be very cautious. You know, there's a lot of information that's coming out in a very short amount of time. There's a lot of stuff that changes legislatively from the morning to the afternoon. Something could be different, you know, something could change. Um, I just wanted to give you guys a little heads up of what's going on. Um, there hasn't been any movement right now of any bills because the first week is really slow up at the legislature. All of the legislators are getting the committees are trying to figure out what bills are going where, what committees they need to go to, what time they have to hear what. They're just figuring everything out pretty much the first week. Not really much happens. Actually, the first two weeks, really not much happens. Um, so the second week, things finally towards the end of the week start to get moving. So we'll hopefully see something change next week. We'll start to see committees because I do know that there's a cannabis changes bill 
that's um, being put into uh, the legislature and a couple of other things. Another one would be uh, like the smell. They're, mm -hmm. they're going in, but, you know, it's not probable cause. I think they're just going in to tighten up some of the language on that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll read more of the bills as they come out. Um, this week I'm, you know, doing the town hall and I'll tell you guys more about that in a little bit, but it's just been really busy. I haven't had a chance to really read all the bills thoroughly. Like I wanted to, there's not that many, thank God. Um, but you know, I, I still haven't had a chance. Um, what do you, you know, kind of hope to see from the legislative session this year? Whoo, that's a good point. That's a good question, man. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, here's the thing, man. I don't always love enforcement um, and I don't always love, you know, more laws and legislation, but there is still a lot of illegal cannabis in New Mexico. There's yep. a lot of product that's coming from Oklahoma. There's a lot of product coming from Oregon. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's just not fair to local cultivators, nor what, we don't know what the fuck's on this. We don't know yeah. what pesticides were sprayed on this black market cannabis. Because a lot of the times they send us the shit that failed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know. Exactly. And that's where like, um, you know, this is a medicine to people. Um, and we want to know exactly what is in this product that is getting on shelves um, that people are using. Ah, of course, people are just getting high, but like there's a lot of people that rely on this. Yeah. Um, and also there's a lot of livelihoods at stake of these smaller cultivators. Um, yeah. And, you know, we just want to make sure that it's a good level playing field and that there aren't people playing dirty. You know, um, I, I think that's a, a big thing that I would like to see. And that's something that's on the chopping block, you know, yeah. I guess, or in the legislative um, session is one of the bills. They're trying to give the CCD a little bit more power, you yeah. know, because they can't even confiscate the cannabis. I've come to find out. Yeah. I guess that was one of the issues. They're like, yeah, I mean, sometimes we can't even take the weed, you know, if we find it, if they have too much or whatever. Um, so they're saying that they need more enforcement on that side. Um, they have a hard time shutting, um, certain places down just because they just lack enforcement, you know, yeah. like, and they lack funds. Yeah. So there's a certain things that need to change. Hopefully something like that. I really want to read it though. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, and that's the biggest thing, man, yeah. is that I, I just want to make sure that the enforcement is funneled in the correct avenues. Yes. Um, and that, um, you know, it is not something that gets out of control that, you know, we see just, um, you know, them picking on people that are playing ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what I'm afraid of too. You know, like th that I want enforcement. We need enforcement. Don't get me wrong. This is a legal industry. So that's something that needs to happen. But well, and what we had like four regulators for a while. Yeah. Something Mexico. like that. How many like, licenses? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? It was, it was literally the fucking wild west for the yeah. first year. Like, yeah. It, there was so much shit going on. Yeah. I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. That they tried to crack down. It didn't really work, but now they're really starting to, and they have more agents and all that, et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully with this law change, if, it passes. I, I don't know. The 30 day session is usually about the budget. Yeah. Um, as some of you know. Um, but we'll see. The, the 60 day session, we have more of a chance. However, <clears throat> I feel that if certain bills, non cannabis related, don't make it, I feel the governor may call a special session to get those through, which gives us another chance to get cannabis through. But it's not a guarantee it'll even be heard. Yeah. You know, because yeah. usually a special session, it's for a particular law to get passed. 2021, they did that for cannabis. We had a special mm -hmm. session and they did it just to get cannabis passed because it didn't happen in a 60 day session. Um, it was literally a Hail Mary. Yeah. Uh, but we were, we're lucky with the bill we got, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, real quick on the state nmlegis.gov website, I wanted to let you guys know before I forget on there, you can look up who your representative is, even the congressional house and um, senators. You can find out who they are. Um, you can find out what district you live in. You can also figure out what bills there are in the, the legislature right now. You can see where they are. You can see who introduced the bill. It's very transparent. You can also, my favorite, see the webcast. You can watch committee hearings. You can watch floor hearings. You can watch it all. 
So that's going to be a really good tool for some of you. Like if you want to watch what's happening with the cannabis bills and what's going on, watch the committee hearings because that you can get exactly um, bird's eye view of what's going on. Not even a bird's eye view, fly on the wall of what's going on. You know, you get to hear exactly what your, your red legislators that you voted for, what they say. And then come voting time, if you liked it or dislike it, you decide from there. Um, so it's a really good website. It's a really good tool, especially around this time. And if you're in this industry, I hope that you're looking at, you know, these bills and you're looking at what's going on through legislature because this affects you directly and it affects your pockets in the end, you know, um, any kind of change like that. So I just want to let you guys know that, that, and, um, every odd year is a 60 day session of, as I said before, I know that horse is ashes too, but I get that question a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I had, um, for the session. I just wanted to keep you guys updated and everything what's going on. Um, first week, nothing really happens. Um, We'll see what happens on the second week. You got anything about the session or anything? No, no. That's where I defer to you, brother. That's, <laughs> that is your realm. I grow the weed. You, yeah. uh, you, you help pass the legislation. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, I try to grow weed, yeah. but <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, I'll keep you guys updated on all the legislative stuff, everything that goes on. As I said, follow my, you know, all my Instagrams, my social. Make sure you follow the Ashtag Grassy Logic, you know, um, podcast and wherever you listen to it on YouTube. You can catch it there. Um, but before we go on a couple of bonus info, as you guys know, I do the industry slash town halls this weekend. We're going to be in Clovis and Hobbs, um, Clovis, it will be at nature's solution and Hobbs will be at strained gardens. I have all those flyers, um, all over my socials and everything. So if you follow me, you should be able to find it. If not, just shoot me a DM, you know, I'll be more than glad to share it with you just to get you there. We want to hear everybody's input from the industry. That means from the bud tender all the way up from the owner of the business to even the guy who takes the pictures. We want ancillary businesses too. You know, like lighting companies, you know, we want to hear from you know, everybody, you know, as many people as possible to make this industry better because the information you give us will eventually hopefully get turned into a bill, which will be industry driven. You know, it'll be really literally what the industry wants and needs. And it won't be four or five people picking on a, you know, picked uh, cherry picked, you know, to tell us what we need. Mm -hmm. um, so this is very important for us to go in the future. Eastern New Mexico is a hot, hot place because of how close it is to Texas. So if you guys could come to these meetings, it would help us a lot. And to be honest, it would help you more than anything um, because you guys are in such a unique little area that I really want to hear what you guys have to say in your inputs. So anyway, that's all I have. Um, thank you again for Quality Packaging for sponsoring today's episode. Again, you can find that on Instagram at Quality Customs, customs with a K, or contact Josh at 575-571-6288. And they're just providing cannabis with great packaging, custom boxes, designs, quality-made men with quality-made products. All right, guys, that's it for this uh, episode. I'll see you next week, tomorrow. Actually, I will see you tomorrow because that's when this episode is going to come out. Um, I'll see you tomorrow, and I'll see you next week for episode three. All right, let's get out of here. <laughs>